This is episode 170 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast. We want our teachers to become aware of the hidden assumptions and biases that exist inside of them, but also inside of the ways that material resources and figurative resources are actually distributed in schools. Because the way that these things actually are set up, if left unexamined, cause us to inadvertently marginalize some learners and not others. It becomes very complex and very dynamic. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And I sure want to thank you once again for being a part of our podcast series here at IDRA. Uh, Today we have a pretty exciting couple of things that are occurring, one of which is uh, that I am just delighted to have with me uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kozlewski, who is the Professor and Chair of Special Education Department at the University of Kansas. Secondly, I want to announce to you that there is a new publication called the Equity Center Capacity Building It's a journal publication that is produced by the Equity Center Capacity Building Network with a new focus on essential approaches for excellence and sustainable school system transformation. Elizabeth is one of the contributors, as am I, and I wanted this conversation very quickly to give you a sense of this powerful and dynamic and wonderful article she co-authored with Molly Bostein-Fayuti, that is a part of this journal. So, Elizabeth, let me say good afternoon to you, and I hope you're doing well. I am, and good afternoon to you, too, Bradley. It's wonderful to have this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for taking this time out. I know how busy your schedule is, and so thank you for taking some time out to have this uh, conversation with me. I was just fascinated by the article, and let me say to our listenership that the article is The Complexities of Inclusive Education, how cultural histories shape the ways teachers respond to multiple forms of diversity. And Elizabeth, it seems to me that you've taken an idea that we educators and both teachers and administrators have some familiarity with in terms of, for instance, special education, the notion of inclusive education. But in this article, uh, you have expanded the notion of inclusive education to deal with issues of marginalization in its various forms. And so that's what I'm hoping that we can talk about. Let me just start off with a broad question. When you start talking about uh, inclusive education in this context, equity center capacity building work and dealing with marginalized populations, what was it that made you make that, I don't know if I should call it a leap or that next step to use this concept but apply it to marginalized populations and particularly diverse student populations as we find in our schools and classrooms? That's a great question, Bradley. Basically, we trace the history of inclusive education in this country, which has been with us now for at least 20 years, if not longer, Mm -hmm. shaped initially by the idea that students with disabilities would learn best when they had formal and informal opportunities to learn alongside their typical peers and engage in access to high quality, challenging curriculum and learn to 
engaged with it in ways that expanded their own understanding and ability to make meaning of the world around them. This has been true not only for students with what are called the subjective categories of disability, emotional disturbance, intellectual disabilities, and learning disabilities, but also for children with more substantial physical and neurological challenges, students that we might say have significant support needs. But the truth of the matter is that once you begin to think about working with one population that has been traditionally marginalized in U.S. schools, if we only think about a particular category of, of marginalization, we soon begin to notice that that category of marginalization begins to intersect with other forms of marginalization who are marginalized because of the languages that they speak. And general education teachers don't always have the kinds of skills and abilities that are needed to help English learners in the United States successfully access complex academic content because of language barriers. Or students who, because of their ethnicity and their cultural histories, predominantly students who are brown and black in, in our nation's schools, who often get placed in special education disproportionately, not necessarily because they have a disability, but because their cultural histories and their forms of behavior are seen as disabling in the school context. By redefining what we think about as an inclusive education and making it something that encompasses all students, we can begin to acknowledge the fact that no particular student fits neatly in one category or another. I'm not black or disabled. In fact, I might have both or I might have neither. But how teachers begin to deal with that human variance and how they understand their interaction with children with a variety of needs is really the, the question that this, this article attempts to answer. The renegotiation of boundaries and categories and ways of looking at people who are different from me or different from you. It's about how teachers can facilitate relationships and begin to appreciate one another, challenge students to be interested and intrigued with what school has to offer in terms of ways of knowing and what to know. This is really at the heart of inclusive education. That is uh, just so powerful. And Elizabeth, it really sounds like a very, very dynamic process also, this notion of inclusive education. Is it, I noticed at one point, and you used some wonderful language in your article, that it's a continuous struggle uh, reflecting the notions that we are often unaware of the underlying structures that organize our work as teachers, as professionals, I would think. That sounds to me to be very dynamic, that as part of the educator preparation has to be this struggle with oneself and where one sees oneself in relationship to the students that he or she is working with. All of that seems to be very, very dynamic as a project and a process. Am I correct? That's exactly right. You know, dynamic in terms of taking the veils off one after another and suddenly realizing, oh, the world isn't blue. No, the world is multicolored. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm participating in this by being compliant about particular kinds of things when in fact I need to act as an advocate or I need to get to know my students' families better or I need to ask the questions, why are the resources being distributed in the way that they are or who's getting identified as being gifted and talented in this context? And so we want our teachers to become aware of 
the hidden assumptions and biases that exist inside of them, but also inside of the ways that material resources and figurative resources are actually distributed in schools. Because the way that these things actually are set up, if left unexamined, cause us to inadvertently marginalize some learners and not others. So yeah, it becomes very complex and very dynamic. So let me ask you this, Elizabeth. This has serious implications for pre-service training and teacher preparation, as well as in-service training that goes on in districts across this country. You there at the university and how teachers are, would be prepared. I guess the struggle would be how to transform teacher education preparation courses in order to create this kind of an inclusive educator. Uh, it certainly would have implications for us as equity assistance centers and the training and technical assistance we provide to in-service uh, teachers. How big of a challenge is that going to be? Well, my view is that because we're all engaged in the same process, the one that you referred to as being dynamic, interaction between ourselves and the world that we imagine to be true and the world that we encounter in schools and then the structures that constrain us and sometimes afford imagination and, and transformation. We need to be able to have dialogue from novice to expert, from peer to peer, between mm -hmm. parent and child, that both helps one another know what to do, that is the technical kind of information, but also ask questions in a way that helps the learner whether it's a teacher or an administrator or a child, to become aware of the way the context is set up to support and value some things and perhaps not others. I call that the contextual conversation. Right. And then the third one is the critical one. Whose needs are being met here? And is this the way that we want things to be? And if not, what do we need to do to change it? So those three kinds of conversations, the critical conversation that looks at the dynamics of power in our social institutions, school is a very important social institution in the United States, the contextual that looks at the way that things are set up, the rules and the governance, and the technical, that is, what is the procedure that I need to follow to teach this child how to read? All of those kinds of conversations need to be part of the mentoring and clinical practice of teachers as they work to understand their profession and to become experts at teaching each and every kid. That is great. About those three, the technical, the context, and the critical, at one point in your article, Elizabeth, you talk about them as lenses, and toward the end of the article, you talk about them as domains. I know that those two don'ts are meant to be used synonymously, so can you quickly explain how the technical dimension, uh, the contextual dimension, and the critical can all be viewed as a lens as well as a domain? So that's, a, that's an interesting question. So a lens is the filter through which I sort the world. Right. And sometimes, you know, think about yourself as learning a new skill, like learning to cook something that you've never cooked before and what you really want to know is exactly what ingredients you need, what's the order in which you put them together, 
what are you going to mince and what are you going to chop and what are you going to braise and what are you going to mix together? So you need all of that technical kind of information to help you actually produce the thing that you want to produce. Mm -hmm. So that's one lens that you look at. How do I do this? That's a lens. And it's actually is one of the things that makes America great is our total fascination with the technical. But one of the other pieces of this is that I can work really hard to produce that technical thing because I don't understand the context where the recipe originally came from or the kinds of materials that I need to have at my fingertips in order to produce it. So I can be constrained by my context or afforded by it. So that's the second mm-hmm. that I, I use to begin to ask myself, how can I do this thing and make this thing the best it it possibly can be. And then the third one is, if I make it, who will want it? And why will they want it? And under what conditions? And will they be able to access it? And that is that third kind of lens that I have to bring to everything that I do. So these are the glasses, the filters that I use to think about what I'm engaged in on an everyday basis. But they also become domains because I can look at the practice of teaching through any one of those and mm-hmm. be very, very, very skilled in looking at all of the, the intricate aspects of each one. So they become a domain in which I can operate and become and develop expertise in. That is excellent and fascinating, Elizabeth. It really is. I know our time is winding down, but and I have a, a million questions, but let me just ask you one other as we move uh, to a close. This certainly has huge implications for teacher training and preparation, as well as the kinds of supports teachers would need to actually implement this range or this aspect of inclusive education in their classrooms. What generally would be some of the immediate supports administrators, principals would need in order to support their teachers to provide this kind of educational experience for diverse learners in their classrooms? Well. I think probably a very important part of doing this work well is making sure that you've got at least one or two teachers who are working to develop their skills in this area of a place in your own building where other teachers can come to learn about what it might look like to practice in this way. It's very hard to grow up in American culture and to try to implement the notion of inclusive practices if you've never seen it. So one of the things that building administrators will want to do is to try and get some early adapters in their buildings. They also themselves need some skills in being able to walk through classrooms and look at the classrooms in terms of the equity messages that are being telegraphed in those classrooms by the way the classrooms are organized, Mm -hmm. skills that are available, the questions and rhythms and patterns of everyday life that teachers create in their own classrooms to become aware of those and have conversations about that. So it's important to start with what I would think of as baby steps to help teachers become comfortable with this practice. That is just great. Elizabeth, the time just flew by. I wanted to get into the whole notion of entropy or systemic entropy and so forth, but I would just have to leave it to our readers to go online in order to read this wonderful, wonderful article, The Complexities 
of inclusive education, how cultural histories shape the ways teachers respond to multiple forms of diversity. I commend you, Elizabeth, on this. It is a thought-provoking, wide-ranging, and I think quite powerful piece for educators, teachers, and administrators to not only read, but also to reflect on in their own uh, buildings and the work that they do and where they want to go in terms of reaching all kinds of learners in powerful and important ways to improve their academic outcomes. So Elizabeth Kosleski, thank you once again for your time. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I am always elevated by the new things I learned from you and just being in your presence is really worth my time. You are much too kind, I think, but I'm so happy to talk with you and thank you for being interested in this important work. Thank you, Elizabeth, and take care. Take care. And to our, our listeners, who I will see you on our next go-round, be well, and remember, IDRA is here to support you. Take care. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.